Hello, and welcome to the Bible 101 podcast. We hope you enjoy each episode filled with content all about the Bible. Join us in our Bible 101 series as we explore Genesis through Revelation. Also listen to our roundtable discussions where we discuss major doctrinal themes throughout the Word of the Lord. We hope you also enjoy our apostolic apologetic series and interviews. If you have any questions, please email us at BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That's B-I-B-L-E-T-T-A-B-E-R-N-A-C-L-E 29 at gmail.com. Leave a comment to let us know what you think. Thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to the Bible 101 podcast. I'm here today with Greg Ross, and we're short today. Uh, (laughs) Brother Eric was not able to join us. I was hoping he'd be able to, but... We understand things happen, so we're just going to get started here without much of an introduction. We've been going through a series about salvation. We started talking about just salvation. We talked about repentance. We talked about baptism. Now we come to that all-important subject of the Holy Ghost, and this is an inexhaustible subject, so there's no way that we can cover it all. We're just going to hit the basics of it, Um, but I do want to—I'm going to actually start the discussion out, and then I'm going to open the floor for us to kind of talk back and forth, but— First of all, just a minor perusing of the scriptures, you'll find out that in the beginning, mankind had a very special relationship with God. God said in the book of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so uh, when God got ready to create man, it wasn't like the animals. If you actually do some study in chapter 2 of Genesis, you'll find out that the animals were created out of the dirt of the ground. So that's not what made man unique. Uh, also, you know, the Bible says he breathed into life uh, the breath into man. Man became a living soul. What made man different than the animals is that we have a soul. And it's, uh, we're made in the image of God. doesn't say that about the animals. So uh, God wanted mankind for a special relationship with him. We find out that when uh, Adam and Eve sinned, the Lord came walking in the cool of the day. And he said, Adam, where art thou? Well, some have implied through that statement that they had a regular time of fellowship together. And so, um, but because of sin, that fellowship was broken and God had to drive them out of the garden. We talked a little bit about this. I think it was in uh, uh, our repentance discussion about how that sin brings separation between us and God. He's not able to dwell with sin. And so he had to drive them out of the garden. So cherubim were sent with flaming swords to guard the way to the tree of life. And, And really, Brother Ross, that's mercy. It's mercy that God drove them out of the garden yes. because if not, they would have lived forever in their sinful condition. But now we can have a restored relationship with Jesus Christ. That's, that's beautiful. And the Bible actually says that we'll eat of the tree of life. If you look in the book of Revelation, they, they that overcome, I'll give to eat of the tree of life. So there's all kinds of beautiful things. Yes. That relationship will be restored in full. But what you see is that throughout the Old Testament, God allowed them to have a certain form of relationship with him, but there was still a distance put there. When they're brought out of the land of Egypt, uh, Moses obviously is given the commandments before the Lord, and he comes down, they build the tabernacle, and the way the tabernacle is laid out, uh, only the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies, and then you have obviously you had the priests that could work inside the tabernacle, but the people, that as far as they could come was that brazen altar, and they can offer their sacrifices. But that's as far as you go. If you're not a priest, you can't go beyond that. So the priest had a special relationship with God and could go to a certain place. But they could only go, the high priest could go once a year into that Holy of Holies. And one of the things you see in that tabernacle plan is the Ark of the Covenant, Mm -hmm. which would represent the presence of God. And upon the Ark was the mercy seat. Mm -hmm. And that high priest would walk in once a year on the Day of Atonement. He'd sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat. Their sins would be forgiven, rolled away for another year not completely remitted like we have today, but they're rolled ahead Mm -hmm. uh, until the day of Calvary where Jesus said it is finished, which means paid in full. So a lot of beautiful things in the Old Testament. But one of the things I want to talk about a little bit uh, just to kind of lead the way into this discussion is we see throughout the Old Testament that God starts to make a promise. Things are not going to be this way forever. There's going to come a day where I'm I'm going to come and dwell with you. I'm going to be in you. And so throughout the Old Testament, you see uh, the Spirit of God coming upon people. It comes upon Samson. The Spirit of the Lord moved upon him. You, you see it comes upon Saul. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. It comes upon David. And then uh, it, it, when it came upon them, it caused them to, 
do supernatural feats with Samson, you know, whether it was killing men with the jawbone of a donkey, uh, or, you know, uh, when it comes to Saul, it was him hacking the animal in pieces and telling, so shall it be done to your oxen if you don't join this war. Uh, you see, when it comes on David, it comes on him to do incredible feats. So uh, the Spirit of the Lord moves upon them. But then you'll see other times where it says the Spirit of the Lord moved upon them and it would inspire them to prophesy supernaturally. Things they couldn't possibly know in their flesh, but they're prophesying in a supernatural manner. So the Spirit of God would empower them. Right. All right. But God said, there's coming a day where I'm not lo no longer just going to move upon you. I'm going to move in you. The book of Ezekiel Chapter number 36, we read one of these such prophecies. Verse 25, Then will I sprinkle excuse me, clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put in with, within you. Within you. Notice that key word, within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. Brother Ross, I'm sure, can, can you imagine to that, that Jewish person that's listening to this message, and they start to think about the holiness of God, and how all these years, as far as they've been able to come, is into those courts, and come to that brazen altar, and they could watch from a distance as God would move in a powerful way, and maybe consume the off offering as a, in a, in a, in a, you know, a ball of fire and mm -hmm. they would be amazed at the presence sure. of God but then God says one day I'm not just going to dwell with you I'm going to dwell in you yeah. that had to be unbelievable yeah. and I'm, I'm sure some of the hearers thought <laughs> that's funny Ezekiel wow <laughs> boy he's really gone off the deep end there's no way because they had a transcendent view of God they thought of God as this holy awesome being and he is holy and it is he, also, he is awesome but they thought there's such a distance between God and us. That's why to this day, many Jews cannot accept Jesus as the Messiah because they don't see, well, well okay, you say he's God in flesh. Well, God can't become a man. You know, God's so holy. He's so righteous. He's so just. How could he become a man? And, and so you've got to imagine how uh, spectacular this message sounded to them. Absolutely. But this is not the only scripture that speaks of this in the Old Testament. Let's go over to Ezekiel chapter number 11. And let's take a look at uh, verse number 19. Ezekiel 11, verse number 19 says this, And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh, and will give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So notice he says, I'm going to give them uh, a new spirit, mm -hmm. And he says, I'm going to take out the stony heart. I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. And this is going to cause them to want to walk in my statutes. Because before, you had the laws. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And you're trying to think, wow, I've got to keep this law. And I don't want to. And, and in fact, you read there was actually provision made for somebody that committed an accidental, not accidental, but an ignorant sin. Ignorant would be the better word, not accidental. And right. so they, they committed an ignorant sin because there was so much in that law that you could. You could sin ignorantly. Yes. There's a lot in that law. And uh, then let's take a look at Joel chapter 2. Mm -hmm. Joel chapter 2 is a very important prophecy. And this is quoted uh, in the uh, New Testament in the book of Acts. Okay. Joel chapter number 2. And we'll start reading with verse 28 and 29. And this is what it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaidens in those days will I pour out my spirit. This is a very important prophecy. We're going to come back to this here in just a moment. So uh, let's talk about something. Now I mentioned earlier the Ark of the Covenant. And within the ark were three things. You read about three things. There were the, the, uh, the stone, the tables of stone that God had given to Moses, the law of God. Then you also had the rod of Aaron that budded. And then you also had the golden pot of manna. Now, I'm not going to talk so much about the, the, uh, the rod of Aaron, and I'm not going to talk about the golden pot of manna. But something interesting is that the law was within this Ark of the Covenant. Well, they thought this Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And inside this ark, 
was the law of God, okay? Now, God spoke of a day when he would write his laws upon our heart. Mm -hmm. And let's go over to Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 33. And we're going to read 33 and 34. Jeremiah 31. We encourage you to follow along in your Bibles with us here. Uh, 31, 33 through 34 says this, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That's an incredible prophecy. If you read Jeremiah, there's a lot of negative things <laughs> said, spoken about in the book of Jeremiah, and rightfully so, because the people uh, of God had gotten so far away from their God. And But he's talking about a day when that relationship is going to be restored. And he says here, he's going to make a new covenant. So you talk about the Old and New Testament. What does the word testament mean? Well, you could talk about it could mean covenant. And so we have the old and new covenant. He said he's going to make a new covenant. He's going to take his law and put it in their inward parts. So just like, uh, let me put it this way, in New Testament times, and we're going to break this down just a minute, but right now I'm just making introductory remarks. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 19, tells us that now, uh, just like that Ark of the Covenant was a box that contained the presence of God and had the law of God inside, now our bodies... It's kind of like that box that contains the presence of God and has the law of God within our hearts. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 19 says this, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? Boy, that's incredible right there. Your body becomes the temple of the Holy yeah. Ghost. So uh, what this tells us is that in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God moved upon us but the new covenant is that the Spirit of God can dwell inside of us. And we're going to look a little bit um, into this. Now, where was this introduced? What was the first time that they received this Holy Ghost and that it, it came on the inside of them? Well, in the book of Acts, chapter number 2, we're told this. Now, I'm going to point out a couple things before we get here. If you, And I'm not going to take time to read it, but in the book of Exodus, chapter number 19, verses 16 through 18, when the Lord appeared to them on... Uh, Mount Sinai and he gave Moses the law we see there are several signs that happened we see that there was thunderings and lightnings there was a trumpet blast and the Lord descended on the mountain with fire that's kind of interesting because um, you read that Jesus obviously he died he, he I'm, I'm not going to go into all this too much in depth because I, I assume most of our listeners have at least heard this this story and if not you can go back and listen to previous discussions especially the Bible 101 series but uh, where we've talked about this. but So Jesus died, he, he, he was buried, he resurrected, he appeared to his disciples, and he tells them, go tarry in, in the city of Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. And then he, he tells them uh, in the book of Acts, chapter number 1, verse number 8, he says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Then he ascends up into heaven, so they go into the upper room. Uh, in Jerusalem, and there they're doing just what Jesus said, wait for the promise to come. Now, they're, they're waiting, Brother Ross, but I'm not sure they understood exactly what was going to happen. Right. They knew that, that the Lord had promised them it's going to be power from on high, it's going to be the Holy Ghost, because he's already told them that. They don't know how it's going to come to them, uh, so they're waiting with expectation. I, I believe they're praying, they're seeking sure. the Lord, and uh, the Bible says this in Acts chapter 2, verse number 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Now remember, when it came on, on the mountain, we've already read that thunderings and lightnings and obviously the mountain shaking and quaking. Well, we see something similar happening here. Okay, it says, um, It filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared to them cloven tongues like as of fire. Hmm. That's interesting, Brother Ross. So we got fire. Just like on Sinai, we had the Lord descending in fire. Now we've got fire. That's, that's fascinating. Then it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, So and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice it's accompanied with a sound. What happened back on Sinai? A trumpet blast announced the presence of God. Now we've got a sound that announces the presence of God. But notice this, and, and, and I'm going to really try to go uh, more in depth here, but... Um, first of all, let me make this statement. 
If you want to really have some good study material, look at the word filled in the book of Acts, filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh. Look that up. I decided to do a little bit of research into that, so I did fill with the Holy Ghost. You know something, Brother Ross, I found pretty interesting? Is that outside two occasions, every time it says they were filled with the Holy Ghost, it moved them to speak. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. So Acts 2.4, Acts 4.8, Acts 4.31, Acts 13, 13.9-10, all of these occasions says they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke something. Okay, whether it may be uh, they spoke with tongues or also it says that Peter filled with the Holy Ghost said this to the Sanhedrin court. Uh, you know, Paul filled with the Holy Ghost looked at that sorcerer and he said, you son of the yeah, devil. Yeah. And so the Holy Ghost moved them to speak just like in the Old Testament when God's Spirit moved on somebody, He inspired them to do something supernatural that they couldn't ordinarily do. Either they spoke with tongues now, right. or they speak something supernaturally that God moves on them and tells them to speak. Yeah. Um, and I don't have the reference in front of me, but you know, Jesus was talking to His disciples. He said, there's going to come a day, they're going to bring you before their courts, and they're going to try you. He says, don't worry beforehand what you shall speak, for the, the Spirit will give you in that hour what you shall speak. So if you, if you look at the times they were put under the hot coals of pressure in the New Testament, this, they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spoke. I just found that fascinating. I thought that was interesting. Um, okay, the, another interesting fact is this, and, and I'll let you kind of break down maybe some of the things like Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 10, Acts 19 if you want to. But something else I found is look at the word received. Mm -hmm. If you look at the word received the Holy Ghost, I can make a very strong case that in every single instance where it says somebody received the Holy Ghost, meaning for the first time they spoke in tongues. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we look at this in Acts chapter 2, verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, the next few verses says there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. This was noised abroad. The multitude came together. They were confounded. They heard every man speak in his own language. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so these were these were real languages, but they didn't know these languages because it says, "Are not all these which speak Galileans?" And, and just look at your Bible maps and find out that every one of the disciples were from Galilee, except for Judas Iscariot. And so they they were all Galileans. And it says, "How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born?" Now watch how many languages here: Parthians, Medes, Elamites. Dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, Cappadocia, and Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, uh, in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. That's a lot of different languages going on there. Yes. <clears throat> and it says, They were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. They're just trying to explain it away because, boy, this is a fascinating event. They've never seen anything like it before. And then it goes on to say, and I'm not going to take time to read Peter's message. There's a lot of amazing things in Peter's message. Um, but we'll be here all night, Brother Ross, and I'll, I'll never shut up if we get into that. So we'll just say he preached a message about Jesus, and he told him, you crucified the Lord of glory. This is the Messiah you were looking for, but you killed him. And so when they found this out, verse number 37, it says, they were pricked in their heart, and they sent unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Verse 38, then Peter said unto them, repent. <clears throat> Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall, not might, not maybe, you shall receive, receive. There's that word, receive, yes. the gift of the Holy Ghost. Um, real quick, let's jump over to Acts 10. I'm going to shut up here in just a second, Brother Ross. No, I'm going to let you take over. Good, good. So in Acts 10, we've already talked about this. So again, that we've, we've mentioned things in this discussion. I'm going to jump right into this rather than explain the whole scenario. The only thing I'll say is that Cornelius was a Gentile. It's a full-blooded Gentile. We're not talking about Samaritan here. We're talking about full-blooded Gentile. And uh, he was a good man, a righteous man, gave alms. But God, anyways, long story short, God sent Peter to his house. Peter preaches to him about Jesus. Verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How did they know it? For or because... They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now watch this very carefully. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, then prayed to him to tarry certain days. Over to Acts 19 now. Mm -hmm. Acts 19. Um, and we're going to back up here in just a second to Acts 8. But what makes this one interesting is that 
Um, Brother Ross, I've heard the argument before saying, well, the only reason they spoke with tongues on these occasions, you know, talking about uh, Acts 2 and Acts 10, is because it was the first time that the Holy Ghost came to the nation. They had to have some type of supernatural sign, but now it's not so. Well, then what do you do with Acts 19? Uh, Acts 19, this is where Paul passed to the upper coast, comes to Ephesus, he finds certain disciples. We find out later these are disciples of John the Baptist. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Under what then will you baptize? They said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. So once again, we see when the word received is mentioned, it says specifically, they spoke with tongues. There's two other occasions where this word received, the Holy Ghost, is mentioned. Okay, we're going to go back to Acts chapter 8. And I'll let you talk more in depth about some of this. I'm just touching the surface right now of it. So in Acts chapter 8, uh, Saul of Tarsus is wreaking havoc. He's persecuting the church, which drives him out of their comfort zone. And they start going and preaching the gospel everywhere. Philip goes down into Samaria and preaches the word of God. Now you'll see, we read these chapters as if they're just a few days apart. But there's years that separate some of these chapters. And actually, a few years had passed since the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And they've been stuck in pretty much in, in Jerusalem preaching the gospel. Well, this persecution drives them out of their comfort zone. And so they go out and start preaching everywhere. And then it says, a scattered abroad is what verse 4 says. Philip goes down to Samaria. He preaches Christ unto them. Um, and so when, when he does, I'm going to skip down a little bit. They give heed unto him. Devils were cast out. Miracles were, were worked, were wrought by the hands of the Lord. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now, just for the sake of context, I'm going to read this. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive, there it is again, the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is interesting because uh, many people would teach that at the point of believing, you automatically receive the Spirit. And they'll, they'll point to things like uh, Romans chapter 10 to uh, verse number 9, I think it is, that you know says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. Uh, and you shall be saved. And so they'll say, see, at the moment you believe, you receive the Spirit. The only problem with that is, look at Acts chapter 8. We have a clear biblical example that that was not the case. They didn't have it. And it says they believed. Back at verse 12, they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, and they were even baptized. Baptized. Um, And it says they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then verse 17, then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Somebody might say it doesn't say they spoke with tongues. Next verse, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. Now, something interesting to bring up, say, you know, I think I think it was Matthew Henry, Brother Ross, I was reading one time, and he said that um, it could have been speaking in tongues, but he was saying, well, miracles, you know, or he actually said, but it's just basically there. Uh, I can't remember the way he put it, but some people would say that you lay hands on people and... Uh, some reason the apostles had to lay hands on them and confer it on them. But nothing necessarily happened. The only problem with that is Simon could have walked away claiming, hey, they gave me power, and boom, received the Holy Ghost, boom, received the Holy Ghost. No, he said he saw something. Now, what did he see? Well, the best way to interpret Scripture is with another Scripture. We've already looked at these other passages. We've looked at Acts 2. It's already set the precedent that when they received the Holy Ghost, they spoke with tongues. So what Simon saw was speaking in tongues. Right. And then I'm, I'm going to move ahead one other chapter, and we'll dig more into this in a minute. But Acts chapter 9 tells about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. He becomes Paul. Um, and so Paul uh, is, is a man that God has already knocked down on the road to Damascus. He's blinded him. God sends a man by the name of Ananias. Uh, he, he complains. He says, Lord, I really don't want to go. You know, this guy's persecuted people and 
Uh, he told him, go, he's a chosen vessel. So verse 17 of Acts 9, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Somebody might say, doesn't say he spoke with tongues. Well, if I can prove to you that he spoke with tongues, um, then we can talk about where it started. So let's find out if, if he talked with tongues. He wrote the book of 1 Corinthians, and read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in verse number 18. And, and he says this very important phrase here, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. And if you read, Corinthians was a tongue-talking church. In fact, he had to put precedent on, or I mean, he had to put stipulations on uh, on when they could speak with tongues and, and all of that. Right. So he tells them, but I speak in tongues more than all of you. When did that start? Well, when he received the Holy Ghost. Right. So we see the word received is a very interesting word. And if Good. you look in each instance where you see received, you make a very strong case that okay. they spoke with tongues. And, and the fact that... that as you already read in Acts uh, 19, that uh, he, you know, he prayed for them and they received the Holy Ghost speaking in tongues. So it was just carrying, carrying Yes, on. exactly. Come and why, why, what was he looking for, too? Because he <clears> said, <throat> have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? He said, we hadn't even heard about it. So he says, under what then were you baptized? They said, unto John's baptism. And then he explains that to him. So it says he baptizes them and he lays hands on them. And what's he praying for? He wasn't praying for What's he praying for? Well, he's praying for them to receive the, the Holy, Holy Ghost. Ghost. And when they spoke in tongues, <clears> he said, all right, you got it. Walked away because that's what he was looking for. Yes, and and using Acts chapter two verses one through four as the precedent, so to speak, the standard. We we see here. We there's a sound. There's wind. Mm -hmm. um, there's cloven tongues. There's fire, and all all these things are going on, and then it says they begin to speak with other tongues. The only thing out of all these things that were happening here, there's only one thing that gets repeated throughout the Word of God in the book of Acts when people receive the Holy Ghost, and that's speaking in tongues. You don't see about the fire and the wind. That's something that doesn't happen every single time, but speaking in tongues does. Yes. So um, I didn't know. I, I, I've got, <clears throat> if, I, if I could kind of back up in this process. Sure, go here. ahead, back up. Uh, and we're talking about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost, uh, the Holy Spirit. That's fine. That's that terminology is used, or the Spirit of God. All Holy the, Spirit of Promise. Yeah, it's yeah. Used, yeah. All all the way back in Genesis one and uh, chapter one and verse two, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. We could get into the Hebrew and the Greek. Uh, Hebrew ruah, I believe, is spirit. Uh, in, in the Greek, it's a pneuma. Uh, and but both of those in the Hebrew and Greek had to do with, with wind or breath. Mm -hmm. And uh, we talked about uh, God uh, breathed the breath, of, the breath of life into the nostrils of man that he became a living soul. So all through the Bible we see this, the Spirit of God is moving and he breathes uh, in, in the man that he made out of the dust and he receives life from, from that breath, breath of God. Uh, and, and you already mentioned some of the prophecies uh, throughout the, out the Word of God. Uh, there's a couple of, I mean, there's not more than a couple more. Like you said in the beginning, this is inexhaustible. Right. And uh, you you already mentioned things that I hadn't thought of in all honesty. I've heard them before, and then I'm going to like throw out a few things you probably thought of, but just didn't bring up. But uh, by, by the way, by the way, I don't mean to get all scattered here. There's the Holy Ghost is not a, a separate being. It's not a separate person. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of God. It's it's the it's the presence of God. You made mention of that. It's the uh, it's the manifest it's a manifestation of God or the expression of God. Yes. And so when we're talking about the Holy Ghost or the Spirit or the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit, um, it's it's still God. It's not a separate entity of some sort. So I, I think we needed to understand that. In fact, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter four and verse four says, "There's one body and." One spirit. One spirit yes. <laughs> so, so we understand that. Uh, also, the the Bible says in the Second Corinthians chapter Second uh, Corinthians. We're using our Bibles here, so hopefully you're listening. Uh, the time it takes us to find it, maybe you can find it with us. <laughs> second Second uh, Corinthians chapter one, verse two. And I am slowly finding it here. I apologize. 
says, uh, well, Second Corinthians. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Jesus' name. Uh, Second Corinthians, um, chapter one, verse twenty-two. Who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. So the the Spirit of God, when we receive the Holy Ghost, it's the earnest of our inheritance. Um, in fact, and also in Second Corinthians five and five, he, he he mentions the same thing again, just for just for validity here. Uh, now he that uh, hath wrought us for the self same thing is God, who also hath given us the earnest of the Spirit, mm -hmm. and also Ephesians chapter one <clears throat> and verse fourteen. Uh, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Talking about the, the spirit of promise, you just mentioned that, brother. But that, yeah, you, you were sealed with that holy spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. So this Holy Ghost that we are receiving is the earnest of our inheritance. And, uh, and so the question comes up oftentimes, is, the, is receiving the Holy Ghost really necessary? Uh, uh, do I, you know... Uh, almost hate to use this terminology, do I have to have the Holy Ghost? Well, number one, why wouldn't you want the Holy Ghost? Why wouldn't you want everything and, and that God has for you? Because there are a lot of groups out there that'll say, um, well, yeah, but we believe in the Holy Ghost, and you'll speak in tongues when you receive the Holy Ghost, but it's not necessary part of salvation. And and again, we're back to when we talked about baptism. Why does, why is if, is there so much emphasis on receiving the Holy Ghost, so much emphasis on being baptized in Jesus' name? If there's so much emphasis on it and, and Scripture and the Word of God, why is it not necessary? Well, it is necessary, and and not, it's and it's not a have to thing. It's it's like you mentioned in the beginning. It's something God used to move on 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 people. Now we get to receive it, and He's in us. Why wouldn't you want it? Why wouldn't you want that wonderful gift? Of the Holy Ghost, and there's there's some uh, I'll talk about it here in a minute. There's some wonderful things that goes along with yes. the Holy Ghost. Yes. But before I talk about that, you 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 hit on just a minute. I think oftentimes um, you, you mentioned that uh, Acts chapter one verse eight, Jesus talking with him, go to Jerusalem. Uh, you get with power from on high. You were gonna you know you're gonna receive the Holy Ghost, and and uh, you shall be filled. What's it say there? Acts chapter one verse eight. Uh, uh, yeah, you shall receive power. Shall receive the Holy Ghost to come upon you. Shall yes. be my witnesses. Okay, yeah. and he he gives them some more instruction, as we know, and then the Bible says he ascends up into heaven, and they stood there, in the and he goes up into the clouds. I think I think what an amazing sight that that oh, yes. must that 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 fires me up. Yes, but and he, in fact, the angel has to show up and say, "Hey, hey, hey." <laughs> uh, you heard what he said. He said, go to Jerusalem. I'm paraphrasing here, but if you read yeah. it, it's there. And uh, he says, "This, hey, Jesus, who you just saw, he's going to come back the same way he just left. The That's same, right. you saw him go up, he's coming back the same way. Now go on to Jerusalem. Now, these are people that had, for, for three and a half years, walked in the presence of Jesus and felt the presence of God. They, they saw dead people raised. They, they saw, they saw, Blinded eyes open. They saw miracles. They saw Jesus walking on the water. They saw they saw all these, and they got to hear him him speak the word of God, and what that would have felt like being in in, in that. And so here they are, in the upper room, those 120, and they've been praying, 10 days, 12 days, 14 days, but then the day of Pentecost comes. They like you said, Brother Mills. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen or when it was going to happen. They were just doing what God had told them to do. And can you imagine? <laughs> it, it, it amazes me for that group to be sitting there praying, and and God, we're praying. You know, however, where they were praying and and just waiting on the Lord, and then and then they begin to hear something, and then they begin to feel something, and it and it set upon each of them, and 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 again, I'm maybe paraphrasing. I don't want to add anything to the Word of God, but you you correct me or fill in the blanks here. <laughs> could could they have said? You feel that? You feel that? That's what we used to feel. When, remember when he raised the dead? Remember what we felt? Remember when he was speaking on, on the Sermon on the Mount, what we felt? I'm feeling that again. His presence is here right now. And then not only did they just feel it, it came into them because they had repented of their sins and they were calling on God and they began to worship God even more because mm -hmm. now what they had felt on the outside was living on the inside. Yes, sir. The day of Pentecost, what a wonderful day. And, and guess what? All down through the centuries of time, um, every century, there, there's recorded history from 
33 AD, when God first poured out the Holy Ghost, every century there's recorded history of people receiving the Holy Ghost, receiving the Holy Ghost, uh, speaking in other tongues, all the way to 2022. God's still pouring out the Holy Ghost mm -hmm. in 2022. If you're listening to this, you want the Holy Ghost, you start repenting and calling out to God, I promise you he'll honor his word and fill you with the Holy Ghost, and you will begin to speak with other tongues, just like the Bible says. Mm -hmm. And so... And so they received that promise. Also, we, um, it's, it, I think it's always good to mention uh, Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 11. Yes, sir. Um, there's absolutely no doubt that the, this prophecy is concerning the day of Pentecost speaking in tongues. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11. We could read a few verses before and a few verses after. But verse 11 says, For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. <clears throat> another prophecy concerning the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Let me uh, yes, go ahead. Just kind of add something here, because there may be somebody. Most most folks won't really know this issue, but um, some will argue that point, Brother Ross, and say, "Well, wait a minute, that's not the context. Context is him them talking about you know being taken into captivity, and the messengers from foreign tongues would be a minister to them to remind them of the judgment of God." But let me just remind you, we're not the ones that applied that. Paul is the one that applied that. Yeah, just read it in the book of First Corinthians. Yes. He actually quotes this, and he says it's talking about speaking in tongues. So this one man said, put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the Word of God is, I mean, it's just, it, I mean, if you're talking about connecting dots, you're, you're connecting dots, and it, and, it, and it makes a beautiful picture when you get done. Uh, a few more verses of Scripture, Mark chapter 16, uh, Jesus speaking. And uh, this is some of the last words he spoke before he ascended into heaven, Mark 16. And, um, and, and, and verse 17, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Shall they cast out devils? They shall speak with new tongues. Jesus said that the believers would speak in new tongues. Also in uh, Luke chapter 24 and verse 47. And, and, and again, Jesus speaking, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. What's that promise? The gift of the Holy Ghost. Mm -hmm. But tear ye in the city of Jerusalem till you be a dude with power from on high. And so there, can, can I yeah. emphasize something on that too? Yes, yes. Uh, you just mentioned Luke 2447, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and you look at Acts chapter number one, um, he identifies what the promise is. Because somebody might try to argue, oh, the promise is not talking about specifically Holy Ghost. But look at what it says here. It actually identifies what the promise is. Um, let's go to uh, let's go to Acts chapter number one and verse four. And being assembled together with him, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. What is the promise? Go to verse number eight. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost. But here's what's interesting. It's come upon you. We already quoted that. But look at Acts chapter number two. When the Holy Ghost falls, they speak with tongues. Then after Peter preaches in Acts 2.38, repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you. So he's saying that same promise of the Holy Ghost is for you. Because there's some people that would argue and say, well, it was just for the apostles on that day. But no, the promise is for everyone. He says, to you, to your children, children so the next generation, next generation, and to they which are far off, far off. meaning future generations right. and even to Gentile nations. So it can, all of that right. can be encapsulated in that phrase. Right. Keep going. Yes. Yeah, so Jesus said, uh, don't speak in new tongues. Uh, Luke you know, talked about the Holy Ghost. Uh, and we always, it seemed like we always end up back in John chapter 3, Jesus talking to Nicodemus. Must, must be born of the water and of the Spirit. Uh, chapter, uh, verse 3, uh, chapter 3, Jesus said, talking to Nicodemus, says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus trying to make sense out of all. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. He cannot, cannot, and I'm going to be talking a little bit more about the necessity of receiving the Holy Ghost. Without being born of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Verse 8, here we go with the wind again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. Have we heard that, seen those words before? About wind, that yeah. wind and then the wind, sound. Yeah. 
but cannot tell where it cometh and where it goes. So it's everyone that is born of the Spirit. And notice it says you hear the sound. Yeah. <laughs> when somebody's going to be born again of the Spirit, you're going to hear something. Yes. I wonder what you're going to hear, Brother Ross. <laughs> Have we talked about that enough? You know, let me just say this real quick, because I know I, I know you're in the middle of a point, but yeah. I just want to bring this up because a guy asked me one time, he said, you keep talking about receiving the Holy Ghost. What does it feel like? I said, well, I like that question. That's, That's a, good a good question. question. I said, Acts 7, or excuse me, John 7. John chapter 7, verse 37 says, In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, he that believeth, excuse me, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then if you take this, it says, uh, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. There's that word again, Brother Ross. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus is not yet glorified. And for more description of it, you go over to to John chapter number 4. I keep wanting to say Acts. John chapter 4, and this is where Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well. And um, he's talking about uh, the water because he's he's saying, woman, give me to drink. And she said, how can you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which is a Samaritan woman? Jesus uh, answered, Let's, let's go to verse 13, sorry. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up in everlasting life. And I told him, I said, it's like a river that rises up inside of you. I said, when you, when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, it feels like there's something that starts on the inside that bubbles up, bubbles up, bubbles up, and you get so full of it, it just comes out of your mouth and it's flows out. Kind of like that other term... Uh, in the Bible, it says joy unspeakable. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, somebody says, "How does it feel? What's it feel like?" Uh, that's a good exp- explanation. But you know what? You get it for yourself, and you'll understand why we say it's joy unspeakable. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> Full right. Of glory. It's hard to explain. praise God. Yeah. And we've already made mention. You know, we're talking about how wonderful the gift of the Holy Ghost is. And and for for some individual or some group or some denomination out there to say, "Well, you don't have to have that." Hey, I want the Holy. If God's yeah. got it for me, I want it. Don't don't you? If God's yeah. got something, if God's got this beautiful, wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost, I, I want it. But not only that, as Romans chapter eight and verse nine, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. He's talking to people who are filled with the Holy Ghost and have spoken in other tongues, because that's the evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. If it so be that the if it so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Mm-hmm. But but I thought you just had to believe. I thought you just had to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. With without the Holy Ghost, without the Spirit of Christ, which is the presence, the Holy Ghost, Spirit mm-hmm. of God, he is none of his. And and he says, and if Christ be in you. The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And then he says this, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he shall, uh, that raised up Christ from the dead, shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that that dwelleth dwelleth in in you. Uh, I want the Holy Ghost because I want to go to heaven. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, verse 13 says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also that sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we know in Romans chapter 8, how are we going to be a part of that group? Because we are filled with the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. Praise God. Thankful I got the Holy Ghost, Brother Neil. Yes, sir. A lot of good points you made there. Let me tag into the first yeah. point you made uh, where you said there's only one spirit. Mm-hmm. And you talked about, you know, there's some people that try to differentiate between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Uh, first of all, we never read the term God the Son in the Bible. It's Son of God. We never read the term God the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the Spirit of God. And if you want proof of this, look at Romans 8 and 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. 
Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So it's called the Spirit of Christ here. Mm -hmm. Now back up to, uh, let's go to uh, verse 11. Right. Not back up, go forward. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by a Spirit that dwelleth in you. So notice, when you receive the Holy Ghost, you receive the same Spirit that raised up Christ. Well, what Spirit raised up Christ? Let's go to (laughs) to Romans chapter 6, verse number 4. Uh, Romans 6 and 4, it says this, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Isn't that interesting? So it says we receive that same spirit, Brother Ross, uh, when we receive the Holy Ghost that raised up Jesus from the dead. Well, he said it was the glory of the Father, but he said we receive the spirit of Christ. And it's also called the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. But then you say, oh, so we receive three spirits? No, <laughs> not again. Let's go back to what Brother Ross started out with, uh, Ephesians 4 and 4. Let's read that again. It says, um, back, we'll back up to verse yeah, 4 and 4, and we'll, we'll read down through here. There is one body and one spirit, one spirit, mm-hmm. even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, <clears throat> one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. So there's only one spirit and there's one God. And so when you receive it, hey, you get the total package. You get God. <laughs> I'd also like to, and just my little part of it here, and you may have, have more to do, but I, I, I get this sometimes. Why speaking in tongues? Why such a unique, someone might say, odd thing? Yeah. Well, I always <laughs> start out with this. Number one, I can choose anything he wants as <laughs> receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Mm-hmm. And as you've already mentioned, it's, it, it's, uh, it's obvious, strongly implied in Acts chapter 8 that something took place there that Simon said, hey, I want that ability to be able to lay hands on people and they receive the Holy Ghost. Well, yes. it's, it's, it's obvious based on other examples in the book of Acts that they spoke in tongues. But again, why, why speaking? Why, why tongues? Well, again, God could chose uh, your ears wiggling or, or your hair standing on end, but that wouldn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he could choose anything he wants because he's God. But James chapter 3, um, a few verses there, gives us a, a really good strong insight why God chose speaking in tongues. And I'd like to read some of that. Sure. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Com- uh, condemnation. <clears throat> for... In many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and, all, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, <clears throat> and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Verse five. Even so, the tongue. Mm-hmm. James giving a little. <clears throat> Well, Bible study here, maybe, not maybe, but why God chose tongues. Even so, the tongue is a little member, boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, boy, that's the truth. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Verse 6, the tongue is a fire, world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body. Tongue defiles the whole body. Setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, of birds, serpents, and things in the sea is tamed, hath been tamed of mankind, verse 8. But the tongue, no man can tame it. It's unruly evil, full of deadly poison. And it goes on, I encourage you to read the rest of that chapter. But here we see the insight of the tongue is the most unruly member of your body. Mm -hmm. So when you are praying and you're repenting and you're saying, God, I surrender all, and the most unruly member of your body is the tongue. When you begin speaking in other tongues, that's the initial evidence that you have truly, at that moment, surrendered everything to God, over to God, and he gives that initial evidence of his spirit coming on the inside, and you begin to speak in other tongues as you're praying and as you're worshiping, and you begin to speak in a different language you've never spoken before. And that is uh, that's, that gives us some good insight there about why it God does speaking in tongues. Uh, also, let me add to that: the tongue reveals what's in the heart. Matthew twelve thirty four says, "O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh." And then you already mentioned the fact the tongue is a very small helm that turns our ship. Uh, so the tongue reveals what the heart looks like, 
uh, and it's like a helm that turns the ship. And then also the tongue has the power of life and death. Proverbs eighteen twenty one, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a lot to be said about the tongue. Now we're not mentioning. Uh, let me just make what our point clear. We're not saying tongues is the Holy Ghost. Right. Good. Tongues good. is the evidence or the initial, initial evidence. The initial evidence. That's very. We need to be careful when we say it like that because initial evidence of the Holy Ghost. Because the ongoing evidence is the fruit of the Spirit. Right. But the initial evidence is when God takes over that most unruly member of your body. And then, you know, because if somebody claims to have received the Holy Ghost and their life never grows and they never grow closer to God and they go right back and they live the same lifestyle, there's not much evidence coming out of that. Um, You may have received the initial evidence, but you don't have ongoing evidence of the presence of God. That'd be kind of a scary thing. Uh, Let me say this too. What are some of the benefits of talking in tongues? Let's get into this. Um, number one, when you speak in tongues, you're speaking the wonderful works of God. Acts 2 and 11, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Number two, when you speak in tongues, you're magnifying God and giving thanks to Him. Acts 10, 46, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. 1 Corinthians 14, 17 through 18, for thou verily givest thanks well, but the others not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than y'all. So the context there is speaking in tongues. Number three, when you speak in tongues, you're speaking mysteries in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14, 2. I'm not going to take time to read that. Look it up for yourself. Number four, when you pray in the Holy Ghost, not necessarily just in tongues, but this is certainly included here, you are building up your faith. Jude 20 says, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Number five, when you pray in the Holy Ghost, the Spirit is making intercession for you and helping your infirmities. Uh, Romans 8, 26. Look that up for yourself. Uh, that's not just tongues, but it can certainly include that. Number six, it reminds us that we are a child of God. Romans eight sixteen, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Number seven, when you speak in tongues, you edify yourself. 1 Corinthians 14, 4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth or buildeth up himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. Number eight, speaking in tongues is our Sabbath or our rest. Isaiah 28, 11, and 12, we've already referred to this, for with stammering lips in another tongue will he speak to this people to whom he said, this is the rest wherewith you may cause the weary to rest and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Uh, so there's a lot of benefits to talking in tongues. Why wouldn't you want to talk in Amen. tongues? Yes. Now, um, we've mentioned before, and you know, we, we've just for those that might have questions about 1 Corinthians 12, do all speak with tongues? Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, that seems to put stipulations on speaking in tongues and says it needs to be accompanied with prophecy and all of that. Well, we've talked about this pretty much in depth. Um, so go back and refer to some of our previous. Sure. We had a roundtable a while back on speaking in tongues. So go look that up because we, we do go into depth. But I'll just touch the surface of this. Um, the Basically, the primary issue Paul is talking about, the context is the gifts of the Spirit. He is not speaking against speaking in tongues. That's never his point. But he's merely trying to uh, tell them that the gifts of the Spirit in the Corinthian church are out of order. He's trying to put order there. And he says, when you speak in tongues, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by course or in order, and let one interpret. So you might say, okay, well, why is it that I come into your church and there's a bunch of people talking with tongues? Well, if you look very carefully at what Paul's talking about, he's talking about speaking with tongues as the gift. There's a difference between the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost and the gift of tongues. And um, let me put it this way. If, if you say, well, how, how do, can you prove that? Okay, take what Paul said, uh, two or three, that by course, let the other interpret, and try to apply that to Acts 2 and to Acts 10 and to Acts 19. In Acts 19, there were 12 men. They all spake with tongues. Acts chapter 2, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Remind me to come back to that, Brother Ross. And then... In uh, Acts chapter number 10, the Bible says the house was filled. I mean, Cornelius brought his kinsmen and near friends. So we, we see that the house is probably full, and they all spoke with tongues. And they're doing it at the same time. So where's the order in that? No, Paul's putting stipulations upon the gift of tongues. Right. And it's, it's like, um, let me just put it this way. You know, if you're not apostolic, uh, the main people that have an issue about this is people that don't believe in speaking in tongues at all. Sure. And that never speak with tongues. And so he said, Paul ends the chapter with, and they often ignore this, forbid not to speak with tongues. But they'll forbid you. Go to their church and try to speak with tongues. They'll tell you shut up or get out. Yeah. 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 And that's, uh, 
gave me a good point there and kind of went off somewhere. It'll, it'll come back. It'll come, it'll back. come back. Well, the basically the other point I wanted to make too is that look at Acts 2 because some people would teach. Um, I'm thinking of certain charismatic groups and, uh, you know, and other groups out there, the Church of God. Uh, there's some other groups out there, the Assemblies of God, that might teach speaking in tongues is good as kind of an extra bonus. Yes. It's like icing on the cake. And, and what's interesting is because they don't teach it as an essentiality, it's becoming less and less in their circles. That's true. And I think they did a survey here recently about the Assemblies of God. We're not trying to pick on any particular no, group. No, no. We're just bringing this up because it's interesting that uh, most of their pastors now don't speak with tongues and never have. And uh, but they claim to believe in it, kind of as a nice extra bonus. But uh, my issue with that is, look at Acts two. It says 120 were gathered in the upper room, right? They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they all spoke with tongues. Acts ten, they all spoke with tongues. Acts nineteen, twelve men were there. They all. Now, if it's just a gift of the Spirit meant for a few. Then in Acts 2, what we would have seen is, you know, maybe 12 get it, maybe 14, maybe 25 get it. Uh, why was it all of them? And plus, Peter stands up and he says, this promise is for you and for your children. Now, if Peter was getting up and he says, you got a promise, but it's not going to come the same way that it came to us. I mean, goodness. Whoever will, yeah. And the, <clears throat> the one is Pentecostals for any, we didn't make this up. We didn't come up with it. It's in the Bible. Yeah, and and again, all the, every every century's got recorded uh, evidence and records of people receiving the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues all the way up to today, 2022. It wasn't something that started in 1900, 1901, or you know some people go back to that and, and think that before that there was no Holy Ghost. It's people were receiving the Holy Ghost since the day of Pentecost, and it wasn't something we made up or came up with. In fact, it was you know God was pouring out the Holy Ghost. People were speaking in other tongues, and the gift of the gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, was was a gift. That then Paul had to had to talk to this church, and by extension, all churches since that time, of, of to not abuse that gift. Mm -hmm. You know, to use it properly the way God wants it to be done. And the other other part too is is um, when you when you pray and you get close to God, you will begin to. Uh, you, you will get as you're praying, God will allow you to speak in tongues. As you worship, God will allow you to speak in tongues, and um, that, that's that's we could go into more depth there, but that's just throwing well, that out there. It is something else that's kind of interesting, though. We mentioned already in Acts two, they didn't know what to expect. Jesus yeah. said, "These signs shall follow them that believe in my name; they shall cast the devils; they shall speak with new tongues." So they they may have known that was part of the package but i can't i mean correct me if i'm wrong but i, I can't see that he specifically said you're going to speak in tongues that's going to be your sign uh, i mean he said it would that they would do that but right. uh, what's interesting to me is in acts 10 peter didn't preach speaking in tongues he didn't say hey you're about that's to speak true. with tongues yeah. uh, in acts 19 he just said have you received the holy ghost since you believed he didn't tell them it was going to be tongues right but they spoke with tongues. They didn't even know what tongues was, Brother happened, Ross. Right. In Acts 10, Acts 19, they didn't even know what that was. Right. But when they got the Holy Ghost, they spoke with tongues. Nobody was there standing there saying, hey, repeat after me, you know, right. whatever. And that's why you don't you don't seek tongues. You don't, God, let me speak in tongues. Like, God, let me speak in tongues. No. Yeah. God, I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Yes. And then, and then the tongues will come. That's right. Absolutely. It's, it's kind of like what we've mentioned before. Uh, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Because when you preach the gospel, baptism comes about as a result of that. It's like that. You know, when you when you seek God, it's like my grandpa used to always teach. He said, you buy the shoes, the tongues come with it. Uh, it's You seek God and the tongues will come. It's not something you have to. And, and so, you know, the people that say, well, what about so-and-so I know that, that tried to get the Holy Ghost and never could get it, blah, blah, blah. Well, here's the problem. They're just overcomplicating it. Because... True. Um, I like to put it this way. It's almost kind of like cruise control on a car. You've been driving down the road, and Brother Ross, I still can't get used to cruise control. <laughs> For a long time, I had a car that didn't have cruise control, and I'd go on long trips, and I'm used to having my foot on that oh, gas pedal. Yeah. And uh, we bought a car not that long ago, so we were traveling somewhere, and it had cruise control on it. I'm like, I hadn't tried the cruise control out. So I did it, and I was so uncomfortable. I kept like trying to move my foot around because it's <laughs> And see, it's kind of like that. It's it's so hard to take your hand off the wheel. 
And so when somebody's praying, it's like they're trying to say, well, i got to control it. And, you know, and if I'm going to speak in tongues, it's going to be all me. No, that's the work that God does. God takes over. And it's we've talked before. They say, well, you guys teach you have to be baptized. You have to speak in tongues. These are all works. No, they're not a work. You're, when you're baptized in Jesus' name, it's actually the man of God that baptizes you. God washes your sins and away. Yeah. And God fills you with the Holy Ghost. You, right. There's no works involved exactly there. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. The only part you do is you <laughs> repent. And God forgives you. Yes. I mean, so you're just basically saying, I'm sorry. And, and God's wiping it off your record. And God washes away your sins when you're baptized. And God fills you with his spirit. So there's no part of that that's in and of ourselves. Yeah. Um, and, of course, there's a lot more that, that we could discuss. One other thing I do at least want to touch briefly is one of the other primary arguments against speaking in tongues is found in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, and basically, it's the love chapter. We call it the love chapter, charity. And uh, he says in verse number 8 of 1 Corinthians 13, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Mm -hmm. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. There's a lady in our church that's talking to me that she was witnessing to somebody. <clears throat> and uh, the lady had gone to Bible college, and she kept bringing the scripture up. And I told the lady what to tell her, and... She said, you know, I tried. She just keeps bringing it up over and over and over again. And But look at what is being said here, okay? Yeah. So the context is love. He said, charity will never fail, all right? There, there will be prophecies that they're going to fail. Whether there be tongues, they will cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Then he says, verse 9, How when are they going to vanish away, Brother Ross? So it says, verse 9, for we now we know in part, or excuse me, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now, uh, what a lot of uh, teachers out there will teach, and I remember one of them I'm just going to name here, David Jeremiah, I know he teaches this, that that which is perfect is the canon of Scripture. Oh, God, yeah. And so he's saying that once the canon of Scripture, once it was canonized, uh, you know, the Old New Testament, once they're canonized, well, actually the New Testament, that that was what was perfect, and so we don't need tongues anymore. There's a problem with that because it says... Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. So it's not just prophecies and tongues. Knowledge is included there. And so don't claim to know anything, you know. But it says, it also says this. When, so when, what is that which is perfect? He goes on to explain. Don't stop reading there. Mm -hmm. He says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. So he keeps referring to himself. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly. But then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I also am known. So he's saying, when that which is perfect has come, I will know even as also I am known. Here's the problem. Paul wasn't alive when the New Testament was canonized. So this isn't talking about the New Testament being canonized. He says, now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Well, when are we going to get face to face? It says, I like what one man used to say all the time, an apostolic debater. Um can't remember his name right now for some reason, but he used to say it says face-to-face, -face, not face-to-book. <laughs> it's face-to-face, -face, not face-to-book. Yeah. He's saying face-to-face. -face. When we get face-to-face -face with him, we'll know everything. There'll be no need for tongues. There'll be no need for, for knowledge. There'll be no need for prophecies. We're going to be face-to-face -face with him. Yeah. Um, so He says because now we're seeing through a glass darkly. We need these things. We need the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation. They impart unto us knowledge yeah. we wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. Right. Um, speaking in tongues, it makes us aware of God's presence and filling our vessel. Yeah. Also draws us closer to him. I already mentioned all the benefits. Right, right, right. But when we see him face to face, we're not going to need that. Yeah. <clears throat> so the, really there's not any arguments that are solid against it. Um, you know, we've talked about Acts 16, you know, where the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. now shalt be saved. But that's not the end of the message because right. it says he spake unto them the word of the Lord, mm -hmm. took him to his house, they baptized him. The man was filled with joy, right. which could very well be an indication <laughs> he received an experience of the Holy Ghost. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of other things we could bring up in Romans chapter 10. We've talked about all those things. So, you know, I, I don't think uh, it's necessary to get into too much of that. But we wanted to at least today... There's no way that we could totally uh, talk about everything in the Scripture that has to do with the Holy Ghost, but this is at least a good introductory sure. course, perhaps. <laughs> Brother Ross, any closing thoughts? Just get the Holy Ghost. Man. Get the that's Holy Ghost. I just, that, that's pretty pretty um, country country style there, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I make mention on these 
podcast from time to time. I, I'm the one in the room that, that wasn't blessed to be raised in a, in a church in a good apostolic environment. Um, my, um, when I was 12 years old, my mother and dad went through a divorce and I saw some terrible things and, and experienced some, I'm not, that's not a pity party kind of thing there. It's just, that's the way it was. A lot of people went through a lot worse things than I did. And, um, but man, when I walked into that apostolic church and I had heard about speaking in tongues before. And in fact, when I walked in that apostolic church, there was a lady behind me and she started saying something. I didn't know what she was saying. And I, and I was like, that's that speaking in tongues thing I've heard about. I didn't know. I, I mean, that's how green I was. I was totally, I, but I, I was feeling something. Uh, God was God was working on me, talking to me through, through the man of God, through the presence of God. Hearing somebody speak in tongues was ended up being something that caught my attention. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I found out that if I'd repent of my sins and be baptized in Jesus' name, that I could receive that gift of the Holy Ghost and that I would speak in tongues. So, so uh, I went and hit that altar, repented of my sins. Somebody opened the Word of God and said, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. I said, yep, that's what it says, baptize me in Jesus' name. Then I began, they began to tell me I could receive the Holy Ghost. Two weeks later on a Tuesday night, went to the altar, prayed. God filled me with the Holy Ghost, and guess what? Begin to speak with other tongues when the Spirit gave me the utterance. Amen. Yes, sir. Amen. Well, if you have any questions, we've got an email address. Um, so we finally set up a little intro to the podcast that gives the email address and stuff. So just listen to the. It's at the beginning and the end of every episode now. So uh, just give us an, an, uh, an email and let us know what you think. Also, leave a comment. We'll be happy to get back with you and answer any of the questions you might have. Thank you so much for listening. God bless. Some folks listening? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Oh, you're right. Yeah, we had a number of listeners. I don't know. It's a bunch of people. I don't know how many came in and came out, but there's quite a few. Live stream is completed. Oops. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening to the Bible 101 podcast. Please email us with any questions or let us know what you think at BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. That's BibleTTabernacle29 at gmail.com. Leave a comment. Let us know what you think and maybe give us some ideas for future episodes. We hope you continue to listen.